Our scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kellen. Well, good morning, and again, welcome. We're so glad that you're here this morning. If I haven't met you before, uh, my name is Bill Gorman. I serve as the campus pastor here, and I'm really glad that you're here this morning. Um, And I'd like to begin uh, this time of looking at the scriptures together, which we do each week uh, by just praying and asking for uh, God to help us to understand his word, uh, to know him better through it, to obey him more fully. So uh, let me do that right now. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you have spoken to us in your word, that you've given us a picture of what it is to be a part of the family that you are creating, um, the local church. So I pray now as we look at this picture together that uh, you would give us, um, by your spirit, the ability to live more fully into your design for this family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, families are, families are weird, aren't they? I mean, it just, it just is that family, uh, families are weird. But the funny thing about that, I think, is that when you're growing up, you don't know your family is weird like, until you meet another family. And then you realize, oh, like, oh, they're, they're really different from us and, and they're, they're weird. Because for you, your family is just normal, right? When, especially when you're little and you don't have that much exposure to other families, it's like, oh, this, is just what, this is what families do. And then all of a sudden you start meeting other people and you realize, well, either they're really weird or I'm really weird or they're both really weird. These families are, are strange. And so um, here's my family. Actually, this is a family uh, vacation that we had. Uh, there we go. Um, early on. So there's, our, there's my, uh, my family growing up. I think I was about eight years old in that picture. So here, let me, I shouldn't have given away this hint. I'm about eight years old in that picture. Uh, but any guesses on what year that was? Just judging by the clothes, the hairstyles, any any. Yeah, this is, this is 1990, um, so just, just left the 80s there, but we still are definitely sporting some of the, the, the fluorescent colors of the, the 80s, kind of washed out a little bit there. Um, but we were on a family vacation together, but, you know, uh, and here's another one. Let me give you another picture from that same trip. Yeah, so here you go. We're here um, doing something goofy in these big plastic block things, um, and that's what families are, right? They're goofy, they're fun, they're, they're weird, and, and every family is that way. Every family is weird. Uh, and, and again, I don't know what your experience of family was like growing up. Maybe you had a, a great family that you loved being a part of. Maybe actually family was a really um, painful, uh, difficult experience for you uh, growing up. But I, even not knowing your story, I can guarantee you that your family was, was weird because all families are, are, are weird. Um, and for better and for worse, it, it, it truly is a both and, it's not an either or, for better and for worse, our families shape us. Our, our families make us who we are. Um, I mean, I remember growing up, one of my favorite things that I did with, with my dad was we would watch uh, nature shows on PBS. 
And now I find myself, I got a four-year-old daughter. What's one of my favorite things to do with her on my day off? Find a great nature show on PBS or Netflix and watch together. We love it. Um, and one of the many members, or one, excuse me, one of the many metaphors that the Bible uses to talk about what the church is, is the metaphor of family. Uh, it uses a lot of metaphors of building, of bride, um, lots of different metaphors. But one of them is, is family. And, and the church is certainly a very non-traditional family. Uh, everyone is adopted into this family. Um, and it's very much a blended family, right? Different backgrounds, different stories all coming together. But the church is this, this non-traditional family that God is building through adoption. And the family of the church, it, it shapes us. It, it makes us weird. But how? And, and in what ways does it do that? Because again, I can look back at my own life and see what are the what are the ways that being a Gorman growing up shaped me. Well, you know, it was vacations at Trout Lodge where those pictures were taken. It was loving Canadian bacon and black olives on your Little Caesars pizza. Uh, it was eating these amazing lumps of fried dough called butter dips. It was literally just like dough that we soaked in melted butter and then kind of cooked. Um, butter dips, they were awesome. Uh, and and here at the end of Acts chapter two, we get a picture of what it's like to be a part of church family. What is it like to be a part of, of this family? Because there's no family like this family. There's no family like the local church family. And that's what we want to look at here together this morning is, as we look at Acts, what is this family of the church like? But before we go into the details of, of this passage that Kellen read for us, there are two dangers that we have to be aware of before we look at the details. Um, two dangers that can cause us actually to miss out on the beauty of this passage. And they're actually the same two dangers that we can encounter uh, that you have to be aware of when you're looking back at old family photos and videos. And so here they are. You ready? These are the two dangers. One, the danger of idealizing a past that never was. The danger of idealizing a past that never was. And then kind of on the other side, the second danger, the danger of, of ignoring the goodness of the past. Okay, so what do I, what do I mean by that? Well, take, for example, this, this picture of my family on vacation. We'll get a chance to look at that again. So, you know, you could, one danger in looking at this picture is to idealize a past that, that never was to look back as a family, and I was actually just with my family in St. Louis, to open up the photo album and be like, oh man, like, why isn't it still like that? And wasn't that just such a great time? And everything was perfect. And to idealize, but there, that, that's a moment in time, right, on that vacation. It was a real moment, but it was a moment in time. I can guarantee you on that vacation that there was bickering and fighting and mosquitoes and frustration, and it wasn't all just smiling in the plastic boxes. So one danger in looking at family photos is to idealize a past that never really was. But on the other side of that is to ignore that and just to look at that with kind of a cynical eye and be like, well, you know, we, you know, mom forced us to smile in the picture, but it was never really like that. And, you know, we can never really hope to have that kind of, of, of family life now or it wasn't really like that in the past. And that's the same danger that we can have looking at these kind of passages of the, that describe the church. To look at a text like this in Acts and say, man, like, wasn't it awesome what the church used to be? 
And why can't we be more like that now? Because this, this little snapshot here, is, it, it's just that. It, it's a family photo. It's a moment in time that really happened. But we're going to find in the book of Acts, and you see all the, over the New Testament as well, that the church is also a mess. Um, they're, you know, they're going to be thrown in jail. The people are going to be killed. There's going to be arguments and greed and disagreement. And so there's a danger in idealizing a past that never was. But there's also a danger then to say, well, you know, I've not experienced church like this or the church is corrupt and so we can never be like this. We can never be like Acts 2. That's just a, a dream. And we have to look at it for what is a, a, the author of, of Acts, Luke, he's going to give us a number of these snapshots along the way. And they're kind of like the greatest hits, the best of of the church. And we have to look at them and say, how can we be more like that with also out kind of having this unrealistic expectation that this is what it was like in every moment? Because it wasn't. There were hard days and hard moments, but these give us a picture of what can be, of what we can strive to live into. I hope you mean to see what I, I mean there in that. Okay, so what do we see in this family here? Well, first of all, we see that there is no family like the local church family. And what is it like to be a part of this church family? Well, the first thing we see is that this family gathers this family loves to be together. Um, and I remember at this point, this family is very new. So if you've been following along with us, if you've been here as we've begun this series in Acts and the study together, that this church has, is brand new, but it's growing really rapidly. So Paul kind of walked us through this last week, if you were here, that this church has gone really in one, the course of one sermon uh, from being about 120 people to over 3,000 people. I mean, talk about needing to upgrade as a, to a minivan, as a family, right? This is a really growing family. It's expanding rapidly. And in verse 42, Luke gives us a quick summary of what this family is like when it's gathered together. So look again at, at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Luke writes, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there, he gives us four things there. Um, he says they devoted themselves into what? Four things. Uh, the apostles' teaching, what he calls the fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Okay, and so right from the beginning, even in this in incredibly diverse, uh, this inclusive community, there is a lot there's this, this locus of authoritative teaching. The apostles' teaching. This is a community. This family is built around the eyewitness testimony and teaching of the apostles. And again, the, the apostles were this group of people empowered and called to preserve and pass on Jesus' teaching. And today, as a local church, we still devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching not to the, the pastor's teaching, not to my teaching or Paul's or anyone else's teaching, but to the apostles' teaching that is preserved for us, recorded for us in the scriptures. That's why when we teach on Sunday mornings with the kids downstairs, that all of our, our teaching centers on the scriptures. Because this is the uh, word of God through the apostles and prophets preserved for us. This is why the Bible is central to what we do at Christ Community. It's why we preach whole books of the Bible, why we explain passages of the Bible. Because so we haven't gathered around a particular leader or pastor, but around the Word of God, around the teaching of the apostles. This is the way it's been from the very beginning. 
They gathered in order to learn from the apostles what it meant to know, to trust, to love, obey, and follow Jesus in all of life. Luke also says they devoted themselves to what he calls the fellowship. And this is the idea of sharing with one another, of enjoying one another. We're going to see more about that in in the next point. This family loved to share what they had to be together. Next, he tells us that they ate together, that they prayed together. This language of breaking bread together. Now, when we today hear this language of breaking bread in Acts chapter 2, if you've grown up around the church, you might, your mind might immediately go to, oh, that's the, the Lord's Supper, that's communion. And that probably was a part of those early gatherings, but it was bigger than just that. The idea of, of breaking bread together was simply eating together, sharing meals together, enjoying that kind of um, company uh, around food and drink at the table. The idea of sharing a meal together. And they were daily, Luke tells us, praising God for what he had done. This was a community that stood in awe of God and couldn't help but recount to one of the amazing things that, that Jesus was doing in their lives. They were, they were always saying, this is, how, this is how God is at work in my life, in my community. And a key word in this text, right from the very beginning, in verse 42 is that they devoted themselves. Okay, so what does that mean? What is this idea of of devotion here? Well, it's the idea of persistence and persevering in something. This wasn't sort of a one-off moment, but this was characterized the life of them together. They were persistent and persevering in doing these things. These were ongoing activities in the life of this family. So what are we devoted to? What are you devoted to? Think about that for a moment. What are you persistent in? What are you persevering in? What are the, the, sort of the ongoing activities that mark your life, your rhythms? It's important to think about those things because we, we mentioned this back in the Simply Different series that we uh, had in the first three weeks of January, that the way that we spend our days is the way we spend our lives. The way that we spend our days is the way that in the end we will spend our lives. We're all devoted to something. Uh, the question is to what? And one of the greatest dangers that faces Christians is the danger of having a homeless faith. The danger of having a homeless faith that is not being an active part of a, a local church family. You know, we, we can easily recognize and see the, the dangers that accompany uh, physical homelessness, the lack of flourishing. But, but have we taken stock of what are the dangers of, not, of having a homeless faith, of not really having a, a church family of which I call a home? This is a group of people I'm committed to. You know, our goal as a church family is to encourage and equip one another for all of life. We gather each week to do that because we need it each week to be encouraged and challenged by one another, to sing over one another, to hear God's word explained and proclaimed and taught in fresh ways. Each week we need to stand in awe of who God is and what he has done for us and what he's doing. You see, our habits, they form us. What we devote ourselves to, what we persist in, uh, it inevitably shapes us. It makes us who we are. 
So again, just imagine if you really committed yourself to this habit, devoted yourself to this habit of being a part of a church family, how would it, how would it shape you? How would it change you? If you said, I, I'm going to commit, my family is going to commit um, to being here every, every Sunday for the next six months, don't you think that would shape you in some way or form? And now look, I mean, I get it. I completely understand. Like, you get sick, your kids get sick. If you're sick, don't come to church, okay? Stay home. We don't want to share that around. I mean, in a minute, we're going to talk about the church sharing and generosity. I don't think what Luke had in mind was the flu in the midst of that. So, you know, if you're not, well, of course, don't, don't come, right? There's moments when it's like, no, this is the, the, the loving thing for me to do is to, for me to stay home, for me to keep my kids home if we're sick. Or the, and stuff comes up, right? But, but if you made that commitment to say, in all possible power, we're going to be there. How might that shape us? And not only for you, and I think this is sometimes we, we get this in our minds like, oh, well, going to church is good for me. And it is. It is good for you. But what about the other? Someone here needs you. You don't just come here on Sunday morning for you. You come here for others. Maybe someone else needs you to see your face, to, to shake your hand, for you to greet them, for you to have a conversation with them. It's not just that we come because we need it, because we, and, we, and we do, we need it, we need that, but we also come for others. When you're not here, some, we miss that. We miss what you bring. So the family gathers, and next we see something incredible. We see that this family shares in, un, in uncommon ways. And this is, truly is uncommon community, that this family is marked by incredible vulnerability toward one another and a willingness to sh- sacrificially share for the sake of others. So, so look at how Luke summarizes this, this in verses uh, 44 through 45. He writes, And all who had believed were together and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This family, they're committed to caring for one another's needs, even at great cost to themselves. They're even willing to, to sell what they have in order to be able to help someone else who's in need. Now, when you're studying the Bible, uh, it's as important oftentimes to understand what a passage doesn't mean as to understand what it does mean. And this is one of those passages in particular that has caused a lot of confusion at times of what is, again, is this the ideal that we're supposed to strive for today? What does this mean? How is this practiced? And so let me, first of all, before we unpack more what this passage does mean, let me just say what it, what it doesn't mean. Um, this isn't sort of a picture of like a, some kind of early Christian communism where everyone was, was turning over all their private property to some central kind of governing organization to, to be redistributed. This, this giving that's being done here, this is voluntary, not compulsory. And, and additionally, we know even from later on in this particular passage, as well as throughout the rest of Acts and the New Testament, that people continued to own homes and private property um, they were just willing to, to sell it, if necessary, to give to anyone who had need. So what's on view here is, is not a compulsory abandonment of private property, but rather a radical, uncommon generosity with everything that God had entrusted them with. And again, our economic system today is different than the economic system of the first century. And yet we can say with absolute confidence 
that no one who calls the Brookside campus home should ever be hungry. No one that calls this church family home should ever lack basic needs. Ever. That we would care for one another and sacrifice for one another that, to see that our basic needs are met. No one should be out without food or shelter or clothing if they call this church home. And every year as a church, we, we care for one of these ways through formal benevolence. I mean, that is a kind of a big church word, just for, for giving of our budget to those in need and our family and our community. When you give to Christ's community, you help support those who are in need in our congregation and in our community. And it also happens, and I see this, it also happens spontaneously, just between congregation members, that you're in a community group or you find out someone's in need and you, you bring a meal or you, you give a car or you provide a room that all the time I see in our community. People just know, so spontaneously, they find out about a need and say, I'm going to help, help meet that and care for these people. This family shares. And it doesn't just share material goods. They also regularly share time together. They regularly share time together. We see this in, in verse 46. And again, note the, the, the fact that they still have homes. They're meeting together. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They're spending time in one another's homes. They, they receive the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. This family, again, we said this, this family likes being together despite their cultural differences, right? Despite being uh, different in their, in their language and their culture, uh, this was a group, if we go back a couple of messages in Acts, this is a group of people uh, who had gathered in Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire for Pentecost and there was this incredible miracle of the Spirit coming down and the gospel being proclaimed in the, the mother languages of all these people who are gathered, this incredible community that the Spirit is building. And so even despite all these different languages and cultural backgrounds, they loved being together together. Because when they were together, they experienced the joy of Jesus's presence in a unique way. So do we do this? When was the last time that you had someone from church into your home for a meal? Maybe for some of you, it was just last week. You had a community group and you joined, you had people in your home or you went to someone's home and you shared a meal together, you had snacks, and you enjoyed conversation, spending time together. Or maybe for you, that's never been the case. And you might say, well, Bill, but no one's ever invited me over. And I'd say, man, I'm sorry about that. I really am. We want to be a kind of community that does that. I'd also say, though, have you ever invited anyone over? Sometimes I feel like church can be a bit like a middle school dance in that way that we're all sort of waiting for one another to, it's like someone just, okay, so no one's ever invited you over. Why don't you, you, take, you invite someone over. Have someone to your home. I know that's not always easy. There's challenges that come with that and I get it. All, all kinds of things make that hard and I know the kinds of thoughts that go through our minds because they go through, through my mind when we're having people, yeah, maybe my house isn't as nice as theirs. Or, or what will they think about us? Or man, like she said, I've seen the food that she's brought, brought some of those potluck dinners or whatever. I, she's such a better cook than, than me. I don't, how could I have her over for dinner, her family? 
I can't cook like that. But here's where I think there's a radical difference between entertaining and hospitality. Between entertaining and hospitality. Jen Wilkin, who was with us at Christ Community a couple weeks ago, she wrote a fantastic article on this. And uh, I just want to listen, read out some of what she wrote in this article. It's a little longer, but I think it's worth reading. I'll have it on the screen there. And this is what Jen writes about the difference between entertaining and hospitality. She says, entertaining involves setting the perfect tablescape after an extensive search on Pinterest. It chooses a menu that will impress, and then it frets its way through each stage of preparation. It, it requires every throw pillow to be in place, every cobweb to be eradicated, every child to be neat and orderly. Entertaining focuses attention on self. It says in hospitality, though, it involves setting a table that makes everybody feel comfortable. It chooses a menu that allows FaceTime with guests instead of being chained to a stovetop. It picks up the house to make things pleasant, but it doesn't feel the need to conceal the evidences of everyday life. If a family actually does live here. <laughs> it's good at asking questions and listening intently to answers. Hospitality focuses attention on others. Entertaining invites whom it will enjoy. Hospitality takes all comers. Again, that's not to say that there's never a place for throwing a, a beautiful party to a- entertain. There's, there's a moment for that. But if the reason you haven't had people over is because you're afraid of entertaining, and how often can you really do that? It's expensive. and all. You're going to do that like what, once or twice a year? If you haven't had people over because you're afraid of entertaining, give hospitality a try. Just have people come be a part of your home, your family, just for an evening. Doesn't have to be fancy. Doesn't have to be perfect. And also, when someone invites you over, don't you dare be the person. We don't usually do this out loud, I hope. But don't be the person who is that judging, like, oh, yeah, this wasn't as nice. Oh, that bathroom was a little dirty. You know, we, but I know, right? We do this. Don't do that. It ruins our community because even if you're not doing it out loud, it, come and enjoy. Be gracious. Go to someone's home who you're maybe like, I don't know if I, they seem a little strange to me. Go, go spend time with them. You're strange, okay? <laughs> so how are we doing at this? How are we, how are you sharing and receiving? And I'll tell you something, this is something Rachel and I have been having a lot of conversation about lately in our lives, and it's something we want to grow in. And it can be hard, especially, uh, it can be hard at any stage of life for all kinds of reasons. Our current reason for saying this is hard for us is we have young kids. Um, I think you can come up with excuses or reasons why it's hard at any stage, but it's like, oh, we got the little kids and it's hard and bedtimes, and okay, it's, yeah, it is. And so how can we think creatively about that? We want to grow in this. We grow in this with us. It's, in, it's not just growth about sharing what we have with others, but also about being willing to receive what others have to give to us. About being able to receive. Because I think sometimes in our, especially in our individualistic culture, and in case you didn't know, we live in a highly individualistic culture. We not only struggle to invite people into our lives, but we also struggle to receive help when we need it. We want to be independent. 
There's a pride that says, I don't want to show any kind of weakness. I want to have my act together. But this whole cliche myth of pull yourself up by your bootstraps is just that. It's a cliche. It's an American myth. It's not a biblical principle. It's not how the community of Jesus works. When you have a need, let your family serve you. Let your family love you. Let your family care for you. You see, pride is always a sin. Even when it's a pride that says, I want to do it on my own. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a burden. Pride is always a sin. Let your family love you. When you have a need, tell us. Let us care for you. So let's grow in this together. Let's share and receive in new and deeper ways. If you consider Christ Community your church home, if you regularly come here, if this is your church family and you aren't regularly and intentionally giving financially here yet, I'd encourage you, make a commitment to start doing that. That's one way you can share resources with your family, with those who are in need, not only within the walls of the church, but outside of it as well. If you've made a commitment and this is part of your home, this is your church family, but you're not in a smaller group of people, whether that's a a community group or a Bible study or uh, some kind of a team serving, where people can really know you and you can know them and you can know their needs, find a way to do that. Join a community group. Get involved in a men's or a women's study. Join a team. Join the, the parking team or children's ministry, a place where you can get to know people and they can know you. Another practical way that we can do this, we do this all the time together as families, is just bring one another meals after someone's been in the hospital or had surgery or is bringing home a a new child, welcoming a new uh, child into their family. It doesn't mean that when you sign up for that, every time an email comes out, you have to respond to every single one of them, but you can just be on the list, and if the person's nearby, you're able to take a meal to sign up and, and meet that need. If, you, if you're not a part of that list, and say, I'd love to do that. I didn't even know we had that. Um, they're in those clipboards that you pass to sign in. There's a place, there's a, a blank that just says other on there. There's some checkboxes. Just write meals on that, and we will get in touch with you about being on that list. It's an easy way to love your community, to serve your family. And here's the thing. As we continue to grow larger as a campus, these things will become increasingly difficult to do and simultaneously more important. They'll become increasingly difficult and simultaneously more important. Difficult because we're, we're bigger. It's easier to get lost in the crowd. There's two services. There's 200 people in this room. It's hard to know everyone, but that's why it's so important to not give up on doing these things, to find ways of those connections. We have to do it. The bigger we get, the more important it is to practice these things. And the church here in this text, is it's 3,000 people. We're maybe as a congregation, what, 450 people? Maybe 500 if you count all, every single kid. <laughs> if they could do it, we can too. And before I move on to the the third point here, though, let me just say this about our church family as well. We are far from perfect in this. And I know looking out at a room with this number of people in it, there are probably some of you who have felt let down in this. There have been moments of like, I was in need and my church family didn't, didn't step up, that they dropped the ball. And if that's where you're at this morning, let me just say, as you're listening to this message, there may be some dissonance for you. I'm, I'm really sorry. 
that we haven't, that we missed that for you. We aren't perfect in this. Um, and let me just say, too, if you're a first-time guest or you're newer, you're checking out Christianity, you're trying to find a church home, I love this church. I love this group of people. And I'll just promise you right now, we will disappoint you at some point. <laughs> we will. We will let you down at some point. Why? Because this is a group of people who know that they're broken, who are sinful, who, who are still growing in what it means to be like Jesus. There aren't any perfect churches. We will disappoint one another. We will drop the ball at times, but we want to continue to grow, always seeking to be better in these things because there's more at stake in how we love each other than just our own church family. Why? Because for many people, they will be attracted or not attracted. (laughs) They will be repelled It will be attracted or repelled to the message of the gospel, not first because of the message itself, but because of the community that the gospel creates. This is in many ways how the family grows. You know, one of the most compelling things about this passage to me, uh, something that was fresh for me as I looked at it, um, was how the passage ends. Because there's, there's two things that you see. They had favor with all the people and they were adding people to the family regularly. Look again at, at verse 46, all the way to the end of verse 47. Uh, Luke writes, And day by day, attending, uh, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. This is a tight-knit community. Praising God and having favor with all people. So it's tight-knit, but also they, they have favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's no family like this family. People recognize it. They want to be a part of it. And you think back to when you were a kid growing up. And you had friends and maybe you went over to their house for after school or for a sleepover or something like that. And then you have certain friends growing up that you thought, man, what a cool family. I'd love to be a part of that family. Maybe you liked your family, maybe you didn't like your family, but you thought, man, if I had to be a part of another family, I'd want to be a part of that family. They're just, they love each other. It's always like fun to be at their house, not just because they have the coolest video game system or whatever, but they just, they seem to enjoy being together. There was just a, a warmth in that home. I'm sure you also had other friends though. You'd spend... 10 minutes in their house and it's just bickering and fighting and arguing and yelling. You're like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that, that family. You know, what is our, our church family like? And come, people come visit us. <laughs> what is it like here? People think, yeah, I want to be, I'd love to be a part of a family like that. And again, this is where we have to be cautious. We have to remember the Acts 2.42 through 47. It's a family snapshot. It's not an exhaustive account of, of every moment of the life of the church and that there's even going to be fighting and bickering and disagreement and struggle in this family as well. It's a real family. It's not a perfect family. But what characterized the family from the beginning was favor with all. Favor with all that led many people wanting to join this family. Now again, some people are going to hate them. We get to chapter 4, they're going to start arresting them and putting them in prison. But here's the amazing thing. The Holy Spirit at work in these people created an incredibly tight-knit community. That's the picture you get here in Acts 2. Is that this is an incredibly tight-knit community. Yet, it's not a community that's isolated from their neighborhood. 
They have favor with all and people want to join. They want to be a part. Again, so often people were attracted to the community even before they are attracted to the message. See, the local church provides the plausibility for the gospel message. What do I mean that? I mean, sometimes someone might have a tough time believing in the resurrection. Like, I just can't buy this resurrection thing. Or, or they might say, I don't know if I agree with all this, the church's sexual ethics. Or, or I don't know about this whole, they seem like they talk about sin a lot there. I'm not sure if I buy that. But wow, does that group of people love one another? I don't know if I believe all that stuff, but man, they, they care for each other so well. And as they begin to spend time in and among us, the message, the supernatural, the unbelievable, but absolutely true message of the gospel begins to become plausible. Do people want to be a part of this church family? Do people look at us and say, and see how how we love one another and say, I'm not sure if I believe everything they believe, but I want to be a part of a family like that. Our mission statement as a church begins with these words. We desire to be a caring family. We desire to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. We cannot influence our community and world for Jesus without being a caring family first. A caring family where there's always room for one more, where there's always room for the person who doesn't fit, where there's always room for someone new. So invite someone to come and experience the life of this family. Maybe that's on a Sunday morning. Invite them to come to church with you. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe it's not on a Sunday morning first. In fact, if it's someone who's new to church, it probably isn't a first invitation to church on a Sunday morning. Maybe it is. But maybe it's just an invitation to a barbecue with groups of people from your community group. Or maybe invite them to come to the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Invite them to march with us in the parade if they want. I mean, every kid wants to be in a parade, right? Invite your neighbors. Come walk in the in the parade with us, or just go to the parade with them. Give them a, just a taste of what it's like to be a part of this family. Because there's no family like this family. Because God, our Heavenly Father, has adopted us as His sons and daughters. Jesus, who the Bible calls our older brother. I mean, that's, that's stunning, isn't it? That Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. That Jesus became unthinkably weak so that we could enjoy uncommon community in his new family. He was excluded so we could be adopted. He was lost so that we could be found. He became poor so that we could become rich. He loved us first so we could love one another and all those who are not yet part of the family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for uh, calling us and adopting us into your family. Would you make Christ's community, would you make the Brookside campus more and more like the family snapshot that we get in Acts chapter 2? Incredibly tight-knit, incredibly generous to one another, and having favor with all, drawing others in to the life of the community that you are creating. This is a spirit-created community, not a human community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.